I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'll read the first 20 verses. We'll concentrate on verses 18 through 20 tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you're using the Bible uh, provided by the church, is on page 1077. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And the title of this sermon is Charge. Charge. One word, long sermon. Uh, Before we look at God's word, let's pray. Uh, Almighty God and loving Father, please prepare our minds and hearts to hear the reading of your word. We know that your word has ultimate authority in our lives. Allow us to listen to what you are saying to us. I also ask that your Holy Spirit convince us of truth and empower us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First Timothy chapter 1, listen please as, uh, as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and the Lord uh, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accord with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. It is almost as if Paul gets lost in his testimony, and then he 
shouts out this uh, doxology, doxology to God, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says to Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their, of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed even, I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to you, O God. Uh, we continue our Sunday evening service passing uh, on the faith, a charge to a from a father in the faith to a son in the faith for a church to hold on to faith. We took a brief break, uh, and now we're back into, uh, the, uh, into this sermon. Uh, last week, Pastor Fender preached from 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, 12 to 17. It was Paul's testimony, that part that I just finished reading. Uh, Pastor Fender did a, uh, it was a powerful and uh, faithful exposition of God's word. And in his sermon, Pastor Fender emphasized the abundant grace and mercy of God that Paul received after having been a blasphemer, uh, a persecutor, and an insolent or violent person in the body of Christ. He reminded us that God's grace is sufficient for the sinner. If you missed that sermon, you can uh, go to our website to uh, listen to it. I highly recommend that you listen to it. Tonight, Paul switches back to uh, Timothy. Now, as we read this text, as I read this text, I can't help um, but think this is one of those sermons where it's uncomfortable for some and not uncomfortable at all for others. Uh, Timothy was a leader in the church, and Paul's addressing leaders in the church. And in our church, spiritual leaders are elders, ruling and teaching elders. So every ruling and teaching elder, this sermon is pointed toward you and me. Uh, and if you're not a ruling and teaching elder, you may be tempted to say, go get him. Uh, this is not about me. Uh, when I think about sermons like that, I, I usually think about a, uh, a sermon about uh, what it means to be a godly woman. Uh, I, I, I am not a woman. And whenever... You say that like you were surprised. Um, whenever I'm in church and I hear a sermon like that, I'm tempted to say, I sit back and I get, I get comfortable and I say, I can just relax and go amen when I think he's saying something that uh, women need to hear or I encourage him to, to say that really hard thing. Or... I can remember that I have two godly women in my life, my wife and my daughter, and I want them to be godly women too. So I'm going to listen for the things that I can do to encourage them in their faith. Uh, I, I'm going to listen for the things that I can, I can strengthen them and support them. 
And I'm also going to listen for things that I can pray for them uh, as I hear that message. So I'm going to ask you, non-ruling and teaching elders, that as you listen to this sermon, that you listen for the things for which you can pray for your leaders here. And as you uh, prepare to nominate new elders, uh, that these are the qualities, these are some of the qualities that you look for in, in elders. And I also remind you that the fifth, the last part of the fifth vow uh, that uh, every member of this church took, you promised to study the purity and peace of the church. And one of the ways that we do that is to do exactly what Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy to do. Uh, tonight our text instructs us to enforce the charge that Timothy was given to protect the preaching and teaching of God's word by holding to the faith and removing those who work against the charge. As I read this text tonight, it made perfect sense to me that Paul would change his attention over to Timothy. Because just before he went to Timothy and said, this charge I entrust to you, he reminded himself um, that he served the king of the ages who's immortal, invisible, the only God, and to whom would be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's that, as if uh, Paul said, as he wrote this, I remember that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Timothy, you are gifted with guarding the purity of the teaching in this church in Ephesus. And I want you to take this charge seriously. So look again at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you. Uh, now, what charge is Paul referring to? He's referring to a charge that he addresses at the beginning of this chapter. Pastor Williams preached a, a magnificent sermon on, on this charge, and I'm going to uh, quote what he said. I, was a, I had access to what he said, and if I... Had, if John was kind enough to give me his manuscript. Where are you, John? I saw you out here. There you go. If you were kind enough to give me your manuscript, I would have quoted you, but maybe next time. <laughs> so Chris said, Pastor Williams said this, the problem with using the law for speculation and vain discussion is that it does not promote faith in God. It does not promote love for the brethren. It does not promote unity in God's church. On the contrary, he said, it promotes doubt, division, disputes, and controversy. Using God's law improperly is dangerous, and I agree with that. Paul certainly said that to Timothy. Pastor Williams said the proper use of the law is that it is to be used in a, in a, as an objective guide uh, to warn, and re uh, warn us against sin and restrain us from sinning. And then he skillfully pointed out that Paul is applying the benefits of the, Ten Command the principles in the Ten Commandments uh, to the life of the people. And he reminded them that the law points to objective truth and real life issues. Uh, now Paul picks up this theme here, and he says, however, 
Paul, uh, Timothy, this means that you need to carry out the charge. Now, for the rest of this sermon, uh, Paul gives Timothy four reasons or four ways he can carry out this charge. Uh, the first is found in verse uh, 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. Look again. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In accordance with the prophecies made about you. Uh, Paul reminds Timothy, the reason you can keep this charge is because God's men, leaders in the church, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16, made prophecies about you. Now let me explain prophecies. Prophecies are not statements that tell forth the future. That's not what Paul is talking about. What he's saying is prophets of God holy men of God, laid their hands on Peter and commissioned him for the ministry. And as they laid their hands on Peter and commit, excuse me, Timothy, and commissioned him for the ministry, they reminded Timothy that the call on Timothy's life started from God and was confirmed by men. It started with God and it was confirmed by men. Timothy became a, a powerful member of Paul's inner circle. Uh, if you read 2 Corinthians 1.1 or Philippians 1.1, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 1 and 2, uh, 1, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1, and Philemon's 1, you'll see that Timothy appears in all of those. He's a partner with Paul. He's called a fellow worker, a brother, a bondservant, a beloved and faithful child in the Lord, a son, a co-equal in the Lord's work. All of these things, Paul reminds Timothy, as you do the work of charging Christ's church, guarding the preaching and teaching of God's word, as you do that, I remind you, Timothy, God called you. One commentator said this, that Timothy was reminded that his Christian leadership was from God. He could only rely on the same source of strength, this, uh, God's strength to carry him through. Fellow elders of First Presbyterian Church, I remind you that our calling is from God. And God is the one who called us, and God is the one who keeps us. He guards us. He begins the work, and he finishes the work. He's with us in the middle as well. Uh, the charge to guard the teaching and preaching of God's word is a formidable charge. It's a difficult charge. It's a charge can, that can be um, hard at times um, to enforce, but we do not do that alone, brothers and sisters, uh, brothers in the Lord. We do that by the power of God. Secondly, 
Not only, Timothy, I want to remind you of the prophecies made about you. I want to remind you that in Acts chapter 16, the Lord called you into service. Secondly, it says this, by waging the good warfare. Wars are started for all types of reasons, aren't they? Economic reasons, reasons of uh, land, possessions, political reasons, ethnic reasons. Uh, there are tons of reasons why war is ra raged. And Paul tells Timothy, I want you to fight the good warfare. Now, when he says that, he's distinguishing the type of warfare that he's talking about. He's not talking about the warfare that we have with one another in the body of Christ. So let me give you an example of what that warfare looks like. Some of us in the body of Christ, we are um, very um, fervent on our traditions and the faith and how we see things theologically and we surround ourselves with people who see things the, the same way and we war against other people in the faith who may see things a little differently. That's war with each other. That is not the war that Paul is talking about in Timothy. Uh, the, the, uh, the war that Paul is talking about uh, to Timothy is a spiritual warfare. The warfare for souls the warfare that um, lasts for eternity. Uh, he describes, I think, good warfare in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what Paul said to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 and 12. Um, Paul said, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. I'm picking up in the middle of what he's saying to Timothy. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, this is when he turns his attention back to Timothy, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's, he goes on to say, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all and of Jesus Christ who was his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearance of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight. There are rules around which we fight. Um, I am not, I didn't grow up a fighter. I grew up a pacifist. I don't like to fight. I like to get out of fights. Um, but whenever I had to fight, I had this um, view, if I hit them hard enough and fast enough first, I can win, and it didn't matter how I fought. I could kick, bite, pull hair. I mean, it was brutal. It was ugly. I was not a nice-looking fighter. And so some people fight in ways that says anything matters. But God says that his warfare is fought in a certain way. 
He shares uh, much of this in First and Second Timothy, but let me just share uh, what he said to, uh, to Timothy from uh, the sixth chapter. He says, first, you fight according to righteousness. Righteousness. This comes first because contrary to greedy teachers in Ephesus, it means doing what is morally right and pleasing to God. It, it means being willing to teach things that are, that are unpopular, that may cause uh, the church budget to go down because we're teaching the truth. Do things right before the Lord. Let his approval be your highest goal. Let what he wants be, and how he wants it done, be your motivating factor. Righteousness comes first because it's in contrast to greedy teachers. Preach, fight the good fight, pursue righteousness. That word pursue means search until you get it. Don't stop. Don't let anything discourage you. Pursue righteousness until you can grab it. Secondly, pursue godliness. Godliness. Godliness is a deep and inner attitude of reverence for God that inspires righteousness. It is a deep and abiding attitude of reverence to God. Godliness is not only an action, it is also the placing of our heart in line with the heart of God. That I, I as a son, or for my uh, Christian sisters, as a woman of God, I want to be a godly man or woman. I want my inner attitude of reverence for God, um, that that would inspire me to righteousness, even though I face difficult people at times. I'm going to surprise you because this probably doesn't happen in this church. Uh, I haven't seen it. I've been here almost two years. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm assuming it doesn't happen. But Christians can be pretty nasty with each other. I've seen in other churches. Christians can be really nasty. Uh, and sometimes they can come up to you and say things uh, and get away with saying things that you can't say. Like they can point and accuse you and say you and then they fill in the blanks with all of the things that you've not done well and we can stand there and say well uh, it may be easy to respond to you the same that you same way that you're responding to me but Paul says godliness means that my attitude even when I'm pushed and challenged my attitude is a deep, shows a deep uh, reverence for God that inspires righteousness, not only in my life, but a, a desire to see the righteousness of God in others. Righteousness, godliness, faith. Faith is both a personal confidence in God through Jesus Christ and a mental acceptance of the truth of the gospel message uh, and scripture. Uh, I, I took um, uh, evangelism explosion years ago and their definition of faith has never uh, left me. The definition of faith is 
Uh, if I had a chair up here, and I forgot to bring a chair up here, but if I had a chair up here, I could say all day, I have faith that that chair will hold me. I have faith um, that I can sit down and relax and that chair would hold my um, considerable, um, the Hebrew word for glory is weight, so considerable, considerable glory. Uh, it, it would hold it. Faith comes when I actually sit down and rest. I'm resting on Christ. That's what that faith means. I'm relying on him. I'm putting all my weight on him. I'm resting on Christ and his message. And I, I believe that what he says is true. Faith is both a personal confidence in God through Jesus Christ and a mental acceptance of the truth of the gospel message. Faith is the radical grace in the Christian life. Love. Love in Paul's uh, out, um, writing is always the outworking of faith. It, it's, the, uh, it's a love for others. It's a love that models the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It goes beyond the fondness for, but a sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another. Uh, as we fight the good fight, we fight it out of love, not only love for God, but also love for the people for whom we serve. Love for God, but also the people we serve. Uh, endurance. Endurance is the strength to continue in the fight that faces opposition. If you had the opportunity uh, to go into Jim Knight's office, he has a picture in his office. There was a, that was a 5K, right? 5K, that's three point something miles um, of running. He, his son, and his sons uh, were um, running in a race, and it's a magnificent picture of the accomplishments of, of that race. Every time I see that race, there's this thought that goes through my mind. I was a sprinter in, in high school for a very brief, very, very, very brief time. Um, and I chose sprinting because I did not want to run long distances. Uh, and when I was playing track, we had to run long distances to sprint, and it never made sense to me. But this is what happens when you run a long distance. You start running, you start running, and then something, there's this pain that comes to the side sometimes, and it, and it hurts. And here's the thing that doesn't make sense. The, the coach tells you to run through the pain. And what he says is, don't stop, it'll go away. Now, he's right, but every time it hurts, the temptation is to stop the action and deal with the pain. Endurance says, run even though it hurts. Don't stop. Don't take shortcuts. Endurance is the strength to continue in the faith, in the, in the face of opposition. The opposition can come from inside and outside the church. And then finally, gentleness. Gentleness is the ability to respond without anger to human criticism, just as Jesus did. 
His meekness and gentleness were the basis of his appeal to his fathers. Jesus' meekness did not mean that he was weak. It did not mean that he forgot who he was in, as, uh, in his identity uh, as the Son of God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. His meekness was a gentleness, a strong gentleness in the face of opposition because he kept his eyes on the cross, on the purpose of his Father. Our gentleness comes when we keep our eyes on the reason we fight. We fight for the honor of the cross, the honor of good and faithful teaching in God's church. Um, thirdly, by holding faith and a good conscience. Uh, look, look again uh, at First uh, Timothy. Look at uh, verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. You know, this is the second time that Pete, Paul says this of Timothy. In chapter 5, he said, our, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And now he says, uh, the way that you guard the, uh, the church, the way that you guard the preaching and teaching in the church is by holding faith and a good conscience. Faith is the means by which a covenantal bond is made with God. Faith is relying on, on the truth of Scripture. A good conscience uh, is that which uh, testifies that one's moral self-evaluation is accurately registered uh, that one one is obedient to God, that my moral self-evaluation tells me that the way that I'm acting and thinking registers that I am obedient to God. A good conscience comes from obedience to God's word. It comes because I'm doing what God tells me to do. Timothy was a young preacher. Uh, Timothy was young in the faith, given a great responsibility. Uh, And uh, the power of his ministry was not in his abilities. It was not in his experience. It was in his faithfulness to God. And that's what Paul is trying to uh, drive home. And then he ends with a negative by rejecting the unfaithful. The final phrase, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their lives, means rejecting a good faith and a sound conscience, uh, rejecting holding fast the charge that was given them. Um, They made a shipwreck of their lives. It's, It's interesting to me that Paul uses the word shipwreck. I have never been in a shipwreck. The closest to a shipwreck that I can ever think of was the first time I uh, did a wedding. It was on um, the, uh, my wife's laughing because she knows what I'm going to say. It was uh, on the Hudson in Albany. Um, the, the ship was moored to the side and it was moving. Now to me, that's shipwreck material. <laughs> I, I like terra firma. I am not a ship person. Shipwreck to me is any time the waves move, I think I'm going to die. 
Paul had a different standard. Paul's standard was actually danger. It was actually an opportunity where lives were lost. He was shipwrecked not once, not twice, but according to his testimony, three times. And what he's saying here is this. He's saying, on Timothy, the issue is so serious. If you let people mishandle God's word, it will destroy the lives of people. It is damaging. Don't stand for it. That's what he's saying. Uh, he said um, he identified Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus was uh, identified twice in Paul's letter, here in 1 Timothy 1, and again in 2 Timothy uh, 17 and 18. Listen to what um, Paul said. Now this is, this is a description of why it's important to guard God's word. Listen to what he said about uh, Hymenaeus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, whose talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene. You know what gangrene is, don't you? Gangrene is uh, the death of body tissue due to a lack of blood flow. It is the death of body tissue. It is the death of the body. It affects the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Hymenaeus, his refusal to preach accurately, he said uh, with Alexander and with the other person um, whose name I forgot, um, um, he said that the resurrection actually happened, which is untrue. But his teaching was dangerous, so dangerous that Paul said, I handed him over to Satan. I handed him over to Satan. The first time that Paul said that was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul said to hand someone over to Satan means for the destruction of the body so that their soul, their spirit may live. And what he's saying is this, do the most uh, horrible thing that you can do to a person in the body of Christ, withdraw them from the communion of faith, take them outside of the communion of faith, and expose them to the tyranny of the devil so that their bodies may be cut short, the influence of their danger cut short to save them and the church. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers who was famous for railing against church abuses, said this about um, the um, turning someone over to Satan. He said, you do this to show the seriousness of the offense by the offender and warn those who are watching that this is serious. Now, why is Paul so serious with um, treating accurately God's word? Again, you have to listen to um, Pastor Fender's sermon to get the full force of this. But part of Paul's testimony 
was that he thought he was fighting for God, but he was fighting against God. And when he realized that he was actually in opposition to God, it shook him. And when he realized the patience that God showed him in drawing him to himself, uh, it ministered to him greatly. Why is it important to take seriously the, uh, the teaching of God's word? Why was Timothy charged with this? Why was he charged with guarding this? Because the grace of God changes lives. The proper preaching of God's word adds life. When it's done improperly, it brings death, division, discord. It spreads like gangrene. It's destructive. And Paul said to Timothy, don't just acknowledge it. Don't just know that it's there. I charge you to guard on the teaching by getting rid of unfaithful leaders. And so he said this in our close. Fight the good fight of the faith. Keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, can see to him be honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And I say to you, fellow elders, keep the charge that God has given us because the gospel is worth it. Shall we pray? Father, we pray for our spiritual leaders, empower us to take up Paul's charge to Timothy. Remind us of your call on our lives and strengthen us on the promise that what you start, you will not abandon. Protect your church from error. Remind us that you alone are immortal and the only one who lives in inapproachable and unapproachable light. You deserve purity in the church. And Father, it is our desire to give that to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.